I love that song, Blessings. We pray that God will remove our hardships and our difficulties, but what if he's trying to teach us something through them? What if that's what he uses to, uh, to teach us faith in him? And that's what he will do. I hope you heard John's announcement that next Sunday there'll be no 8.30 service, no 10.50 service, and actually no 11 o'clock service because it'll be at 10.30. Uh, no Hispanic service, no Vietnamese service. They'll all be combined into one at 10.30 in the sanctuary. And if we need overflow, you know, perhaps we'll be in here in the chapel. We have a, a dinner on the grounds following. We've got a wonderful service planned and uh, 125th anniversary of First Baptist Church, Tifton, Georgia. We didn't want to do it this weekend because obviously this is Labor Day weekend and one or two folks aren't here today. Uh, next weekend, Georgia does not, does not have a game. Um, it's the Sunday after Labor Day and everybody's back in town and back in school. So, uh, And also in, in recent years, it's been a high attendance day in Sunday school. So that's why we, we chose September 7th and Hope that you have plans to be here. I did notice one incorrection in the newspaper article. It had a, I don't know, it had a, a telephone number I didn't recognize, but if you want to uh, join us for the meal, it's 382-6063. I think it had 6030 in the, uh, tel in the newspaper article. So maybe they did that so, so we wouldn't have too many people come to eat. I don't know. Um, I have a sermon this morning on another important person in the New Testament. His name's James. We've looked at the apostles named James. There's James, the son of Zebedee, the brother of John, James and John, sons of Zebedee. There was James the Less, who's called uh, the son of Thaddeus. But there's at least two other James in the New Testament. James was a fairly common name. And this James is the brother of the Lord. Actually, I, I entitled it the half-brother of the Lord, if you want to be technical, because this James' father was Joseph. Jesus' father, of course, was God. So technically a half-brother of Jesus. And I have so many passages of Scripture um, because his name pops up in the Gospels in relationship to Jesus' family. It comes up in the book of Acts, uh, his prominence in the early church in Jerusalem. It comes up in Paul's letters because Paul keeps uh, alluding to him and to his leadership in the church in Jerusalem. And it comes up in his letter, this James, the brother of Jesus, wrote the New Testament book of James. And so we're going to take a few minutes and even look at that. So rather than read all the scriptures to you from the outset that I have listed, let's pray and then dive in. And then those scriptures will come up as we, as we go through this, the, the sermon. Let's bow together. Father, as we come today, we thank you that folks like James, the brother of Jesus, had faith. Even though it was difficult, he believed, Father, and, and he followed and he taught and he led and he preached and he wrote and he had influence. Help us to realize the influence we have just as being followers of Jesus and um, just, just for the heritage this, ch this church has and uh, those folks in the community that look to us for leadership Help us to acknowledge that and, and bear that responsibility with wisdom and strength. Every person here, Father, we want to be faithful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as I mentioned, James was a common name 
in New Testament times. It's a common name today. And there are at least uh, four folks in the New Testament who have the name of James. Um, two were the original 12 apostles. As I said, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. That was one. And then there was James the Less, the son of Thaddeus. Um, neither one of them could have been Jesus' brothers because you remember it said several passages in the New Testament that Jesus' family did not believe in him during his earthly ministry. As a matter of fact, his family thought he was beside himself, that he was um, deranged, and they actually tried to go and fetch him and bring him home so he would not be an embarrassment to the family. But this James, who is the brother, technically the half-brother of Jesus, because his father is obviously Joseph, um, this James became a leader of the church in Jerusalem, which was known as the mother church. It was the church uh, that, that was always struggling, and when Paul was out on his missionary journeys, he was always raising money for this home church, this mother church in Jerusalem that perhaps James was the pastor of, the brother of Jesus. And so we're going to look at him today. It says um, in Galatians, it's going to take me a while to find all these passages. Um, in Galatians 1 verse 19, Paul, this is Paul's letter and he says, he's after three years after his Damascus Road experience. Remember he said he didn't He's trying to authenticate his call to the Galatians because they're saying, who is Paul? What authority does he have? And he says, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So he goes up and sees James, the Lord's brother. And this is how we know that, that James, the Lord's brother, had some influence at the church in Jerusalem because when Paul comes to Jerusalem for the first time, what does he do? He makes contact with James, the Lord's, the Lord's uh, family. Over in uh, Matthew 13, verse 55, we have his family, Jesus' family listed. Jesus has been speaking parables. He comes to his own country. Remember, he comes home and it says his, uh, his own did not receive him. Where did this man get all this wisdom and these mighty works? Verse 55, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Jesus actually had a brother named Judas. How unfortunate. And are not all his sisters with us? So obviously Jesus had four brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. And then it said his sisters, so that's plural. So at least at least. Two sisters. So Jesus had at least six siblings uh, in the family household. It says about the same thing in Mark chapter 3. I'm sorry, Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters? Here with us, and they took offense at him. And this is where Jesus said, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country. In those passages, he has four brothers James, Joseph, Simon, Judas, two sisters. So there's six other children that Joseph and Mary had after Jesus was born. Now, the Roman Catholic Church says that these children had to be Joseph's children by a previous marriage. Because the Roman Catholic Church teaches the perpetual virginity of Mary. Even after Jesus was born, she had no more children. 
And so in order to back that up, they had to say that these people who were listed as Jesus' brothers and sisters had to be Joseph's by a previous marriage. You see the corner they put themselves in? We don't, we don't believe that. We believe that these were children of Mary and Joseph after Jesus' uh, virgin birth. Mary did have other children uh, after Jesus was born because it says in several places that Jesus is her firstborn son. So after the miraculous conception of Jesus, Mary and Joseph did have more children. It's listed at least six here. And then actually after um, Jesus goes to the temple, Joseph drops out of sight. And so we don't know if Joseph may have died young or died early. And so it may have been Jesus and his six siblings and Mary being raised in this household together. Now, what would it have been like? I started daydreaming this week. What would it have been like to have had a Jesus as a brother, to have lived with him for 30 years? You remember his 30 years before he began his ministry? I read several commentaries and, and they talked about, you know, how, how wonderful it must have been to have shared the household with the Son of God and, and angels surrounding the household and and uh, just the, the perfect peace and harmony that must have prevailed. And I started scratching my head and thinking, I don't know. You know, I, I had one sister and I got tired of hearing how perfect she was <laughs> all the time. And, you know, I was just kind of, you know, thinking growing up in Jesus' home, don't you think that, that Mary said things like, why can't you be more like your brother? You know, he never gets into trouble like you do. Or why can't you clean your room like your brother? Why can't you, uh, Jesus, he made a table and four chairs today. Um, I don't know what we'd do without his income, without your father being here anymore. Jesus went to the temple to pray three times today. You didn't go at all. You know, all these things, I'm wondering if, if Jesus' brothers and sisters heard how perfect he was, and he was, he was sinless. He was holy growing up. He was growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with man everywhere except maybe in his family because they had to hear all the time how perfect he was. And, and I couldn't help but think of the uh, comparison. You remember what happened to Joseph in the Old Testament when his brothers got tired of hearing how perfect he was? He was his father's favorite son. What did they do to him? The older brother wanted to kill him, but Reuben said, no, let's not kill him. They put him in a pit and ended up selling him into slavery in Egypt because Joseph came up with his coat of many colors and, and his dreams of how he would rise up and everybody else would bow down. And, and, and sibling rivalry is bad enough as it is, much less if you had a brother who's perfect. Jesus was sinless. And so I can't help but imagine that over time, his brothers and sisters grew weary. And, and if that wasn't part of the reason why, you know, when, when he began his ministry at the age of 30, it was just difficult for them to have accepted. And, and they became adversaries. Um, in Mark chapter 3, verses 21 and 31 are the passages where Jesus is teaching. And uh, his family heard it. He'd, he's come home. And maybe he's become an embarrassment to the family because of what he's doing. He's going around teaching and healing. And, and in 321, when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for people were saying he is beside himself. And then down in verse 31 of Mark 3, his mother and his brothers came and standing outside sent to, call, sent to him and called him out. 
And a crowd was sitting around him and they said, your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. He said, this is where Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers and my sisters? These are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my father is my brother and my sister and my mother. So his family is really struggling with this. They were convinced he had gone mad. And this, is, this includes James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters and his mother Mary. Now I've wondered this, why did Mary of all people wonder why Jesus was teaching like this? Had she forgotten his birth? And it says in John 2 that she was there for uh, his first, the miracle at Cana where he turned the water into wine. And I've often wondered why, why was Mary confused as to Jesus' identity when she knew about uh, the virgin birth, the miraculous conception that, that this firstborn son of hers had experienced. And I just, you know, I have a file that I put in my, back in my mind saying, awaiting further light. Because I just, I don't, I don't know how Mary could have forgotten how Jesus began. But here she is with his, his brothers trying to bring him home so he does not embarrass the family. So in Jesus' lifetime, his, his brothers and his sisters and his mother don't really know what's going on. But something happens at Calvary and the resurrection. His family comes to faith, all of them. And we know that because it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, do you remember after Jesus has been uh, resurrected after his 40 days of appearing on the earth, the apostles uh, returned to Jerusalem and they went into the upper room and began praying. And it says in Acts 1.14, all of these with one accord devoted themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So after the resurrection, Jesus' brothers come around and they believe it was Difficult for them to accept, you know, and, and maybe, maybe Mary was struggling with the concept of Messiah that Jesus was teaching. Maybe that was where her confusion lay. Uh, maybe she was thinking that her son was going to be the Messiah and it was going to be the conquering army Messiah. And so when Jesus came out as the suffering servant Messiah, that's where Mary began to struggle and, and, and that's where his brothers and sisters were confused. But after the, his death and burial and resurrection, it says the apostles are in the upper room praying, devoted themselves in one accord in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And that's when the Holy Spirit fell in Pentecost and the church just exploded. And then it says... In Paul's letters, 1 Corinthians 15, 7, Paul is uh, recounting his resurrection appearance with Jesus, justifying his apostleship. It says in Acts 15, 7, he's listing all the people that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection, um, proving his death, burial, and resurrection. Um, he died, he was buried, he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12, he appeared to more than 500 at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, 
Then to all the apostles, lest of all as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So Jesus made a resurrection appearance to his brother, James. Why? Why James? Well, maybe he was the oldest of Jesus' siblings. And Jesus knew if he appeared to James that James would have influence over the family. And the family would be there in the upper room then when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. Three other brothers came to faith along with Mary in the upper room. And then from this point on, James begins to emerge as the leader of the church in Jerusalem, as the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He becomes an apostle of the Lord. And uh, after the death of James, the son of Zebedee, it says in, uh, in, throughout Acts that Peter is thrown into prison. Then do you remember the story where Peter is thrown into prison and, and the disciples are praying for him and he is released and he comes and knocks at the door and they're surprised that Peter's been released even though they were in there praying for him. It's kind of ironic. And he requests in Acts 12, verse 17, when Peter, he knocked at the door, a maiden named Rhoda came to answer and recognizing Peter's voice, she did not open the gate, but ran in and said that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you're mad. But she insisted it was so. They said, it is an angel. But Peter stayed out there knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. He said, tell this to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Once again, James is singled out as being the one who needs to receive this, this important news because he has become the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Every time Paul returns to Jerusalem, we saw it in Galatians 1.19, in Galatians 2.9, Acts 21.17 through 18. Whenever Paul returns to Jerusalem, the first contact he makes is with James because he realizes this is the leader. This is the one I need to to go and confer with. This is the one I need to compare notes with. This is the one I need to, to share what's going on out in the world. It's kind of like a missionary coming home, giving, you know how we have mission reports at church? Paul's like a missionary coming home to the church in Jerusalem, giving his missionary report to James and to the church. And so, this is important. In Acts 15 is, is an important passage called... Uh, the church conference in Jerusalem. The church has to confer about what to do with Gentiles who want to join the church because there are some Jewish Christians who believe that in order for a Gentile to join the church, they need to go through all the motions and all the rites and all the rituals of being a Jew. And then there are folks like Paul who say, no, if you want to become a follower of Jesus, trust in Jesus, faith in Jesus is all that's necessary. And basically, that's what he preaches in the book of Romans over and over again. So there's a council in Jerusalem that decides, that really decides the future of the church. When you come to faith in Christ, can you become a Christian or do you have to become a Jew first? And James is the one who stands up in that council in Jerusalem and sways the church Acts 15, verse 12, all the assembly kept silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, look what happens. 
James replied, brethren, listen to me. And then he goes on to relate what was happening in, in God's name. And, and therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, that we should not add on to them any additional responsibilities in order to be saved. And so James stands up in the church in Jerusalem, in that council, and, and they leads them in making the decision that faith in Christ is all that's required for salvation. Thank goodness for that, for that strong word from the leader in the church. And he influences the church to accept Gentiles. And then later on in his ministry, James uses his influence and his position of leadership and he writes a letter. And there are a lot of folks who didn't want James' letter included in the New Testament, including Martin Luther, because Martin Luther was an advocate of Paul and, and he believed strongly in faith alone. And James' letter says, faith, yes, but faith without works is what? Is dead. And so there's, there's an emphasis in James' letter on works and doing and faith. And, and those emphases in James' letter, you know, made some folks like Martin Luther and others kind of sour on it. But James, you know, I'm glad this letter's here because it's a corrective. It's, it balances out faith alone. Faith without works is dead. He says, he starts out in, in James 1.1, 1, 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nowhere does he call himself his brother um, in this letter. He's not, he's not using that family relationship to add credibility to his letter. He calls himself a servant. The word there is literally doulos. It means slave. It's translated slave in other places in the Bible, in the New Testament. So James, who was the brother of the Lord, actually the half-brother, is now calling himself his slave. James, who for 30 years didn't really think his brother was that remarkable. And when he began preaching, thought he was beside himself after his death and burial and resurrection. Saw him as the Messiah and believed and called himself his slave. What, what I love about this letter, think about it, is that James, I guess, was with Jesus longer than any other apostle because he had 30 years on the front end before Jesus drew the 12 around him for three brief years and poured his life into them. So James knew Jesus his entire life, 33 years. And, and what's interesting is that James says less specifically about Jesus and his life than any other letter, but he also sounds more like Jesus than any other letter. Let me say that again. There, there are less specific details in the book of James about Jesus' life than any other letter. But James' letter sounds more like Jesus than any other letter. And I, I got my Bible out and got a Sermon on the Mount out, and there are at least 11 parallels between the letter of James and the Sermon on the Mount. Almost everything James says, you can find Jesus saying something similar either in the Sermon on the Mount or somewhere else. And we're, when parallels fail between what James says 
and you can't find a, a similar saying of Jesus anywhere, when parallels fail, you can assume that James is recording a saying of Jesus that is not recorded anywhere else. I love that. I'm thinking that, fought, that knowing and growing up with Jesus and just being around him for 30 years, there's so much of what Jesus said and did rooted itself in James' life and in his heart. And he's recorded it here. And I think it's wonderful to know that someone who grew up with Jesus listened and remembered and later recorded. James' letter also sounds a whole lot like his speech in Acts 15 at that church council I was talking about. He talks about faith and practice. Faith and practice. He talks about faith and works. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Because Jesus didn't just talk about love. He practiced it. Jesus embodied love. Jesus' love found expression in how he encountered and related and ministered to the people around him. So this is not just a letter about doctrine. This is a letter about living, how to live the Christian life. Because James saw his brother Jesus loving and then living out that love, practicing that love in practical ways every day of his life. Good works, not apart from faith, but good works as proof and fruit of faith. Good works that go out and meet human need because that's what James saw Jesus doing, meeting needs. Being Jesus' brother probably didn't hurt getting this letter included in the New Testament, although James doesn't um, refer to it. But were he not Jesus' brother, it might have been omitted. But because he was, it has been an important corrective to just faith. Believing in Jesus is where you start. But there has to be evidence of that faith in how you live your life. And James saw Jesus living his life by faith and then expressing that love by meeting needs when he encountered it on the road, going, whatever he was doing, Jesus stopped to show his love to those in need around him. So, in conclusion, I was wondering, why would somebody who lived with Jesus for 30 years preach and teach and write about the importance of faith plus works? Why? And my only answer is it because he saw it lived out in Jesus' life for 30 years. Jesus, think about it. Jesus didn't need to do good works to please his heavenly father, did he? He didn't have to do anything to please God. He was God. So why did Jesus do good works here on earth? I think he did good works because God is love. And when you're in fellowship with God who is love, that love finds expression in meeting needs in those around you. Jesus was the perfect expression of God, the perfect expression of love on earth. 
And that love was relevant, meeting the needs of those around him. And that's what the book of James is all about. Don't say you love God if there's someone beside you who has a need and you turn your head. James saw his brother Jesus meeting needs, all growing up, helping, serving, ministering, loving. And that influenced him. And he wrote this letter. And he incorporated what he saw and experienced and learned growing up with the Son of God and seeing how Jesus related throughout his life. Not just the three years of ministry, but the 30 years leading up to that. The book of James is a remarkable book. And when you do, I was thinking when you, when you study the book of Romans and its emphasis on faith, which is important, you might want to balance that with a study of the book of James. Because James says, faith without works is dead. Let's bow together. God, thank you for using people in Jesus' family like James. And I wonder what Joseph and, and Simon and Judas did and what Mary did after Jesus' resurrection. Were they members of the church there in Jerusalem? Did they support their brother James? And, and were they influential um, because of who they were? For some reason, James emphasizes faith expressing itself in doing something. Not because we had, have to do something to be saved. We're saved by faith. But once we are saved, what are we supposed to do? And James helps us with that because of his life's experience growing up in the home with his brother Jesus and seeing how he interacted and related and loved and helped not just in the three years of his ministry, but leading up to that. We thank you for someone like James and his ministry in Jerusalem, his stance in the council in Jerusalem that made it possible for Gentiles like us to come into the, the, the family of God. knowing that we are saved by faith and that that faith should then have some kind of expression of love. So help us be faithful. For 125 years, this church has been doing that. And we will be faithful in our day, in our time, with the responsibilities you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song, Just As I Am. I'll be here to receive you. If you have a decision to make, you come forward. And we'll respond. And uh, if you need to rededicate your life or join this church or profess your faith publicly, now's the time to do that.
If there's something you need to do following up on your faith, faith without works is dead. And so show how alive your faith is by loving and serving in Jesus' name. Let's stand together and sing, just as I am, you come. I'll be here to receive you. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for